Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Business of Design, episode 107. I'm so glad you're here. Time for us to have a little conversation. I've been thinking about learning and learning new things. I am currently taking improv and I'm terrible at it. I'm the worst one in my class. I'm not just imagining that I'm the worst one in my class. I actually think I am the worst one in my class. Uh, It's not a very nice feeling to really be bad at it, but I'm determined to get better. I'm also taking Spanish. I've taken Spanish for years. I took Spanish in grade school and junior high and high school, but I've never been able to break through and actually be able to be fluent in Spanish. So I'm taking Spanish again. In both of those things, in Spanish and in improv, I'm really not very good. It doesn't come naturally to me. Um, I'm struggling. And I noticed that I'm very kind and forgiving to myself because I'm not good at those things. In other words, I don't have an expectation that I should know how to do those things. I understand that it's amazing that I'm even trying, right? I give myself a lot of props for just even showing up and trying, particularly improv, because it can be sort of humiliating to suck at improv. When it comes to a design business, though, I entered the field thinking that I should know things because I went to school. I've been trained. So I should know how to manage clients. I should know how to manage projects. And that thinking held me back for so many years. For one thing, it made me embarrassed to ask for help. Uh, But when I finally was so broken and beaten, and I finally did ask for help, I ran up against other design professionals who also felt like they should know something. And rather than saying, I don't know, I'm also dying, they gave me an answer that wasn't sufficient. It's really helpful to get yourself to a place where you can acknowledge that I don't know how to do this, but somebody does. And I can take some classes and I can get better at this. And some things are easy to get better at. I would say getting better at being a designer is actually fairly easy if you're willing to be brave. In improv, getting better is fairly easy, but I have to be very brave. I have to be on stage with someone who's a stronger actor than I am, and I have to be willing to do a poor performance. It's also true with interior design. I have to be brave in the face of clients, in the face of trades, in the face of suppliers. Brave enough to set the rules that work for me and then brave enough to stick to those rules. When I first started out in 1991, I just wanted to create beautiful spaces and equally important, I wanted to make my clients happy. I desperately wanted to make my clients happy. So whatever they asked me, if I had it within my power to do it, I would say yes, no matter the request. Hey, Kimberly, can we meet Saturday morning at 7 a.m. before the kids are awake? Sure. Hey, Kimberly, can you come over Sunday night at 10.30 p.m. after the kids are in bed? Sure. Hey, Kimberly, we're not really comfortable with a retainer, so can we just pay as we go? Sure. I did all of those things and more in an effort to make my clients happy. The surprising thing was none of those things actually made my clients happy, and they made me miserable. 
In this episode then, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to consider the lessons I learned from the very first client? Now, I'd love to tell you that the minute I learned the lesson, I got it and I changed gears and I got better. Oh no, I had to learn these particular lessons over and over and over again, but that very first client did give me an opportunity to change course. I didn't change course, but she did give me the opportunity to change course. I hope you'll be able to relate. I definitely can relate to you guys when you write in about what's going on in your careers, in your lives. And I thank you so much for that support. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn and I will get right to lessons I learned from my first client. Good to have unpacked, and I have clean clothes in my drawers again, which is really nice. But boy, did did we have a great time at High Point! Yeah, you've been on the road a while, but it was great to join you at High Point, meeting so many of our members. It was a really great weekend. So, um, time to get back into the office and and back to work to catch up on a few things now. And we are now turning our full attention to. Business of Design's Elite Retreat Santa Monica, which is my home turf, everybody. So in addition to extensive, intensive learning, an opportunity to connect in a really mature way with other business owners and move the needle on your business, we will also be doing home tours. We'll have meals together. Um, I promise you're going to come away with some new best friends and uh, renewed energy in your business. So what are the details of the retreat then, Cheryl, in terms of fees and the dates, et cetera. The retreat itself is happening October October 24th to 27th. But if you sign up this week before April 15th, uh, it's only 50% down to register. So the full trip is $28.99. But again, before April 15th, it's only 50% down to sign up. So full details are on the website. And I love that so many of our initial signups were um, attendees who joined us at last year's retreat. Yeah, they it was it was really worthwhile and uh some of the highlights for me were just the breakthroughs that people had about their businesses and those moments where we found ourselves just sitting on the grass uh talking in a really vulnerable way. There were some tears, there was some hugging, like it was pretty cool, right? It was it was amazing and I and that whole group has stayed in such a good contact since one-on-one outreach is to hold each other accountable and moving things forward. It's, it's really been great. And I feel like I know them so well now. Yeah. Great. Okay. We would love for you to join us in Santa Monica, Cheryl and Janine and myself and Kathy, I think will be there as well. Kathy Seal, who works at Kimberly Selden Design Group. So come on out, sign up right away. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. 
annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. When I started my business in 1991, I was so excited to be unleashed on the world. My first career was in television, and I had grown kind of bored and tired with it and thought, this is going to allow me to be master of my own ship. I can make the rules. I can make a lot of money. I can take time off whenever I want. I had so many grand ideas about how all that was going to work. And I was willing to work really hard to make it happen. And I was aware that I was going to have to, at least at the beginning, sacrifice some extra time to create this business that I imagined. I looked up one day and a decade had gone by. And I had to acknowledge to myself that not a whole lot had improved. I was making a little more money. I was working no fewer hours, I don't think. I had a few more clients, and I felt a little bit more like a legitimate designer. But I certainly didn't have anything that looked like a career. I think of that period of my business as the infancy stage. Infants don't know anything. They have to learn everything. You have to take care of them constantly. You can't leave them alone for a second. You're sleep-deprived, but you're also deliriously happy. And you can run on that steam for a long time because this is something you've dreamed about, right? And then, of course, comes the toddler phase. And if you're a new mom and you have an infant, you might be thinking like I was thinking, which is, I can't wait until this baby can walk because my back is breaking. My baby's getting kind of heavy. I can't wait until he can walk or she can walk. Then things are really going to get a little bit easier. And if you are already at the stage I am where your kids are grown or past that toddler stage, you know what a joke that is, right? Like once they start moving, now you're chasing them. It is so much harder. Toddlers are insatiable. They are completely unreasonable. They lose their minds over tiny things and you try to reason with them and they can be reasoned with. But mercifully, the toddler phase in life doesn't last very long, right? It's maybe a year. But the toddler phase of a business can last indefinitely. And for me, it lasted over a decade, which is embarrassing to say now, but that is the truth. I was in the toddler phase. I knew some things, but I didn't have enough information to run a mature business. So in fact, the infancy stage of my business wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the toddler stage because I had some information, but not all the information I needed. I was still working so, so hard, but I was constantly chasing the dream, right? And never quite succeeding. I kept telling myself, I'll just work harder. I'll work smarter. I'll give up weekends. I'll give up evenings. I'll give up vacation and holiday time. I can put in a second shift after the kids went to bed. I told myself that that would be temporary. And like I said, a decade later, I looked up and went, whoa, I'm still doing this. Like, what is wrong with me? I didn't know better. And when we know better, we do better, right? That very first client was during the infancy phase of my business, and I learned a lot, but only enough to bump me up to the toddler phase of my business, which is really where pain starts. In any case, here are some lessons I learned from that very first 
client. Number one, I am the one who determines my value and worth. In other words, whatever I say my value and worth is, the client will react to that. The client will interact with that. And in my case, my very first client, I didn't have any idea what to charge. And so I did something which is humiliating to say out loud. I said, I will work for you and I will not charge you an hourly rate, but I will take 10% on everything you buy. Of course, she said, that sounds great. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? Like I will run around and do all kinds of crazy stuff for you and I will bring you samples and I will drive to your house and I will have meetings and I will take measurements and I won't charge you a dime for any of that. Who wouldn't sign up for that, right? I'd sign up for that. And the result of me setting that value for myself is the client interacted with that value. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I would show up to meetings at her house and she would say, oh, hey, you're here. Hang on a minute. Go ahead and have a seat in the family room. I just have to finish a couple of things. And 20 minutes later, she would come into the family room and she'd say, great, let's get started. And then I found as we progressed that time extended. So I would show up and she said, oh, I'm not quite ready for you. I have to finish making dinner. Come in the kitchen and we can talk while I'm getting things ready. And then we can go sit down in the dining room and have a meeting. So we would spend 45 minutes in the kitchen while she was stirring the soup and making dinner and cutting vegetables. And we'd be chatting superficially about the project, but not really getting anything done. And then we would move to the dining room and we'd have a hurried meeting so she could get back to the important things she was doing. And I would leave feeling somewhat uncomfortable, but not sure really why I felt so uncomfortable. This really hit home for me on the afternoon that I showed up for a meeting and she handed me her infant child, a beautiful little girl. I'll never forget it. And I had the overwhelming feeling that I wanted to cry because I had a beautiful little girl at home with a babysitter. And I knew this can't be right. I can't be sacrificing this precious time with my daughter so I could show up at this woman's house and hold her daughter. I knew it was wrong. I left that meeting really annoyed that she valued my time so little she would hand me her child while she made soup. It took me a couple of years, maybe more than that, to realize she was treating me the way I asked her to treat me. What I said to her at the beginning was, I'm not worth anything. My value is zero dollars. Use me as much as you want for zero dollars. And she said, okay. For a long time, I was really stuck. What kind of a person does that? Why wouldn't she insist on paying me something? Or at a minimum, why wouldn't she respect my time and show up for meetings on time and ready to work? She didn't know that was important. She played by the rules I gave her. So it took a little while, but I finally realized none of that was the client's fault. It was all my fault. So lesson number one, clients will value you based on what you tell them you're worth. That's partly about money, of course, but it's partly about all kinds of other things as well. Respecting time is one of those important things, right? The motivation of money, a high hourly rate, gets people 
to a meeting on time. So those two things can work hand in hand, which is lovely. Lesson number two, clients respect my expertise when I do. One of the things I really hated always, in fact, I I don't think I like it much now. I don't like when someone second guesses me, when I give them an expert opinion about their design project. And certainly when I started, that happened a lot. I would say, we could do this on the chair. And the client would go, oh, really? And that was all it took. She thinks there's something wrong with that choice. Maybe this isn't an upholstery weight fabric. Did I double check that? Maybe it's not enough rubs. Did I double check that? Hmm, what is she thinking? Maybe plaid is out and flowers are in. Have I made some strategic error and the client knows but isn't saying? It's likely the client could tell I wasn't sure about what I was suggesting. And part of that is experience and age. I understand that. But part of that is also due to the fact that I said my value was nothing. And if my value is nothing, how can my expertise be worth something? My expertise, therefore, was also nothing. I felt that. And I transmuted that to my client. And I let that client know that in a thousand different ways. So of course, she second-guessed every single thing I brought her. I also brought so many options. We could do this, or we could do this. This could be nice. Oh, I would love to try this. This is fabulous. I thought I was showing her that I had flexibility and breadth as a designer, that I could do all kinds of different styles and work with anything. But really what I was doing is saying, I'm not sure what you should do. This is one of the reasons, one of the really important reasons that I feel strongly you should never go to a consultation for free. Because when you go to the consultation for free, what you're saying is there's no value to your time and therefore there is no value to your expertise. And there are people who will die on the hill of, I have to go to the consultation for free. And I say, Godspeed. I hope it goes great for you. I only wish you success in your business. But if there's even the slightest opening here and you would be willing to try going to a paid consultation instead of a free consultation, I honestly think you will see a difference in the conversation you're going to have with the client and particularly in the number of clients you convert from consultation clients to paid project clients. I think you'll see a huge difference. Of course, it doesn't stop there at the consultation. That idea, that motivation has to run through the entire project, but it certainly starts at the consultation. The third thing I learned from clients, or at least had the opportunity to learn from my first clients, is that clients care about two things, time and money. It's a given that you're going to do beautiful things in their home. You're going to choose fabrics that are pleasing to look at, furniture that's pleasing to look at. You're going to do a floor plan that makes sense, that's functional. But what is unclear to clients and what makes them crazy about working with us, we can't answer the simplest fundamental questions. When will it be done? How much will it cost? Naturally, in my first project, I had absolutely no idea how to answer those questions, but because I was charging nothing, I made it clear to the clients I didn't know anything, and they gave me some leniency around that. Plus, they weren't dealing with my fees, so all they had to think about was what they were going to purchase. But when I hired my first business coach back in 1998 or so, 
it became clear to me that I needed to be able to answer those two fundamental questions if I wanted to succeed. Clients care about time and money. They ask all the time, right? When is this going to be done? How much is it going to cost? And you know this because it's very likely you've been to a new client project where they fired another designer before you got there. And almost invariably, the conversation goes something like this. Yes, well, we worked with so-and-so before. He was lovely. I really liked him. However, we just never knew when it was going to be done. We just never knew when we were going to get the last bill. I have heard a variation on that theme so many times I can't count it. They never say, wow, I hired this designer and she gave us the ugliest things. Man, she wasn't creative enough. They never say that. They say, that person I hired, who I really wanted to succeed, by the way, wasn't able to tell me the two things I need to know to feel comfortable. How much is it going to cost and when's it going to be done? At Business of Design, every single thing we teach leads to those two answers. If it doesn't answer those two questions, there's no need to learn it. You already know it. So the third thing my first clients tried to teach me was that clients care about two things, time and money. I strongly suggest we work together so you can answer those questions as well. Number four, my very first customer taught me that professional hours look professional. In other words, me showing up on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., was a clear indication that I really wasn't running a strict professional office. I know what some of you are thinking, but I'm the boss. I can do whatever hours I want. And it makes more sense for me to show up at a client's house on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And that's fine. We all get to make the decisions we want to make. But for me, having clearly defined office hours and therefore clearly defined non-office hours is an optic I like. Yes, I can choose to meet a client on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. if I want to, but I no longer have to. And it's also probably safe to say that meeting someone on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. is not their best moment either. Most of us aren't feeling our perky best self on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Worse than Saturday morning at 7 a.m., I think, is a Friday evening at 7 p.m. or a Sunday evening at 7, 8, or 9 p.m. at night. I did a lot of those. They were never successful. Everybody was exhausted. They'd worked all week, then they came home and they had the children's and activities and birthday parties and events and chores around the house. And Sunday night, they were just bagged. And so here I would come ready to have a meeting and they already didn't want me to be there and they just wanted me to go away. Number five, big number five, my very first client taught me something really important and that is this. I'm the boss. I make the rules. Now, granted, I made lousy rules in the beginning, not just with my first client, but with my first 20, 30, 40, 75 clients. I made terrible, terrible rules. The rules were punitive to me. They allowed my clients to get away with anything, including bad behavior like not paying me or not showing up to meetings on time. So the rules were lousy. 
The minute you realize that you're the boss and therefore you get to set the rules, you can have a liberating experience when it comes to running your business because whatever isn't working for you can be changed and must be changed if you want to be happy and succeed. Think back to your experience of design school. How many of those people you went to school with are actually working designers? If you're like me and so many others I meet, the answer is very few. Think back to other designers, decorators, stylists, stagers, architects you've known in the past. How many of them are still doing that work? The answer is about half, about half of them. They get out of the business because it's too hard. In fact, I would say they get out of the business because it's impossible, impossible to succeed with the tools they have in hand, impossible. Thankfully, we're all starting to have these conversations and share what we know, teach what we know, and the industry is starting to mature. I actually am beginning to see the seeds of that development. But of course, progress is never linear, right? Two steps forward, one step back. There's still so much for us to do. But anyway, those are the five things those very first clients taught me or tried to teach me. Wherever you are on the journey, I hope you'll connect with us, join our community, and have those conversations that will really push you to the next level. You may be called on to be brave, but you can do it. If I can do it, trust me, you can do it. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. being a part of the business of design community if you love what you hear on the podcast take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com as our thank you you'll gain access to business of design's 15-step project management strategy a free introductory course which includes three business of design systems you can implement for immediate results and when you're ready for success a business of design membership monthly or annual will dramatically improve your business and your life what are you waiting for Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.